Good morning. Good morning. Good night. Amen. Guys and gals did a wonderful job singing. Man, that's great. I closed my eyes. I thought there's a herd of sheep up here. Amen. <laughs> And I appreciate that so very much. Good to see you all of you today. And thank you, Pastor, for inviting me to come. God bless you. And thank you so much for this opportunity. I told my wife when I got home, I said, it's such a uh, joy to be there and to hear the, hear the young folks singing the old time songs. And, and uh, you know, and I thank the Lord for that. And so many times you go into places and things, they, for some odd reason, we think the young people got to have a taste of the world in their worship for some odd reason in order for them to worship. And I, I tell you, listen, our message must line up with our music. And our music must line up with our message. And God gave me a little thought the other day, riding down the road. I don't know, I had to pull over and write it down on my phone, my notepad on my phone. And that the, the, the character of the messenger is as, as important as the content of the message. Because if I'm not living right with God, then what good is the message that I bring from God going to have in your life? And so if you see me out there carousing and living like the world and listen to my music that uh, listens like the, sounds like the world, listen, I, we should not have the same kind of music in church that they have down at the dance halls or down at the pub. We don't want to develop an appetite in your heart at church that when you walk down the road and you hear the same style of music coming from the bars to say, hey, that's the same kind of music I heard at church. Must not be anything wrong. Let's slip in here and see what's going on. Next thing you know, you're sitting there, and, and the sin of alcohol's got a hold of you. And may the Lord help us to guard against that. That's not the message today. That may be part of it, but that's not the message this morning. But I want you to turn in your Bible today to the second book of the Bible. That'll make it easier for you. Go all the way back to the left, the book of Genesis. What's the second book? Exodus. And I want you to go to the 33rd chapter of Exodus. Exodus chapter 33. Uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to read a, a portion of this chapter, and uh, I'm going to bring a very important message. I believe all messages from God's Word are important, and I preach. I've been preaching now for, again for 36 plus years, not as long as some have, but and I've been around the been around the block a few times. But I preach with purpose. And I preach for decisions. I preach on purpose. And I'm not up here just filling some schedule, uh, some time frame just to get you out of class. But I'm here carrying God's message for this hour for your heart that could literally revolutionize your life from this time until Jesus comes for the rest of your days. Sometimes we can look back on services and look back on sermons that we've heard and say it was that moment that became a turning point in my life that God used to bring me closer to him. God showed me his path and his plan for my life. And I want to thank God for that. I thank the Lord. I've been in this thing long enough that I've got young people that used to be in my Bible class, used to be in my youth group, used to be on my basketball team there at the Christian school that are now coming back to me and saying, thank you. Thank you for the investment you made in my life. Thank you for the influence, the godly influence you've had upon me. And I thank the Lord. Had, had one Sunday morning about 5.30 send me a text. And so I want you to know, Mr. Cruz, I prayed for you this morning. And I'm praying God to bless you in your preaching today. Isn't that great? And that guy was on one of, one of my basketball teams. He was in my Bible class and, and uh, there at school. And thank God for that. And I'll tell you, praise the Lord for godly influences. And we rejoice in that. You got your place there in Exodus 32? Say amen. amen. Let's look at verse 15. I want to jump right in here in verse 15. 
And uh, Moses, the Bible says, and Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand, and the tables were written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables uh, were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it's not the no it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for, uh, for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. It came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw, saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mound. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it in powder and strawed it upon the water, made the children of Israel drink of it. Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods, which shall go before us. And but for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we walk not what is become of him. And I said to them, Whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me, and then I cast into the fire. And, you know, it's like, voila, it's like, wow, there came out this calf. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies, there then, stood Mo, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Say this with me, you ready? Who is on the Lord's side? Stop right there. Who is on the Lord's side, he said. Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together in him. And he said to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, go in and go out from, the, from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. But I want you to notice the, the sobering, serious, sincere question Searching question that Moses asked the people of God, verse 26, who is on the Lord's side? And I don't know about you, but I like to be on the winning side, amen? And if you're on the Lord's side, you're on the winning side. And so we find here in this text is what we want to deal with today on that word or that question, who is on the Lord's side? Have you ever seen it so bad that today we cannot seemingly tell the difference between the church who are those who are for the Lord and those who are against the Lord. And it's a sad day in which we live in this account. There is an indifference here. There is that led to idolatry and that led to immorality. First of all, we see the indifference they had toward the man of God. There in verse um, 23, they said, we walk not what is become of him. They said that same expression in verse 1. Uh, they told Aaron, up, make us gods, which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we walk not what is become of him. In other words, it, it appears that they had a condescending critical spirit toward the man of God, Moses. He's gone. Moses is in the mountain talking with God. Communing with God. Moses is getting the law of God, what we know as the Ten Commandments. 
He's communing and fellowshipping with God. And here's this crowd, approximately 2 million people. And they said, we don't know where the man of God's at. He left us. Moses told him where he's going, but he left us. We don't know. And there's an indifference here uh, toward the man of God. And the way the devil attempts to destroy and to divide a church, to destroy, to divide a home, to destroy and even divide a school is to cause people to become critical toward the leadership. Children become critical toward parents' leadership in their life. People become members and students become critical toward the administration and the teacher of a school. And so we find that there is a attempt of the devil to destroy us and to divide us. There was an indifference toward the man of God. And when there is an indifference toward the man of God, it will lead to idolatry of the people of God. Because that's what we see played out here. Look with me there in chapter 33 there. Look at verse 4 and 5. Or excuse me, chapter 32, verse 4 and 5. They said, and, and, and here they're talking about this golden calf and how it was made. And we find here they, they said there in verse 4, and he received them of their hand, talking about the gold and fashioned it. Notice they fashioned it. They made it. They, they built it with graven tools after he had made it, a molten calf. Remember what he said back in our text? It said, we just threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf. Well, that was a lie. Here he's telling them how he made it. And they fashioned it and they built it and, and he made it a molten calf. And they said, these be thy God, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar. Notice this, before it. Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow is the feast of the Lord. Listen, they made a God that they could see. They made a God that they could touch. They made a God that they could hold. And this God that they had made led them into pagan worship. Led them into playing worship. I wonder how many times people come to the house of God and play worship. How many times do we just go through the motions or go through the routine and have some religious calisthenics, you know, and we make light of the holy things of God and we desecrate the day of God, we desecrate the word of God, we desecrate the name of God. And here the Bible says that they built this calf and their indifference led to idolatry. And now he said, hey, this is your God, Israel. Not God Jehovah no more, but this golden calf here that I hold in my hand, this is your God. And the Bible says that Aaron, Moses' brother, built an altar before it and made a proclamation and said, we're going to have us a feast unto the Lord. Think of that. Think of how far they've gone. People don't even understand when they rebel against the authority that God's put in their life how far that rebellion will take you down. Amen. Amen. And it took them to immorality. Then we find it took them to idolatry. And notice this indifference led to idolatry and idolatry leads to immorality. Notice what the text says. Notice what the Bible says. Let the word of God speak for itself. Look at verse six and seven. The Bible says, and they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to what? What's that word, class? 
play. We all know what play means. Go outside, recess, get on the monkey bars, the swing set, get a ball, to get a basketball, get a football, volleyball, soccer ball, whatever. We know what it means. If I get a game, you know, I never was good at that. Them video games. My, my, my eyes go cross-eyed watching them things. Now, my son can play them in his sleep. He, he's good at that stuff. But here they got all this, and the Bible says they rose up to play. Look at verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, go get thee down. I mean, here's Moses in the mountain with God, and God sees it. And God says, Moses, you better get down. For thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, look at this, have corrupted them Sales. Look at that word play. It may not mean anything to you, young people, this morning. But when you study out that word play, that word play, it brings out, it, it studies down to this word fornication. The Bible says they rose up to, to, to play, to fornicate. And that's why when Moses came down there, he found them unclothed. They were all unclothed. They, they were living sensual lives and doing sensual perverted things. And the Apostle Paul refers to fornication there in 1 Corinthians 10 as a, a, that it's tied to worship. And you'll study that yourself there. And we come here, that's, that's where they are now. God said, Moses, you better get down there. They have corrupted themselves. You see, the, this moral practice, sad to say, has carried on. In many pagan countries today, when you look at what Israel did, now get this, how many commandments are there, class? Ten. Ten, right? Guess how many Israel committed in this one act? How many did they violate out of ten commandments? How many did they violate? Seven. Seven in this, just this one incident here. Seven commandments. They broke in just this one incident. Think of that. They have, no wonder God says they've corrupted themselves. And so they, they had sunk so low in sin, so low in moral depravity during these days of the absence of Moses that God was going to remove and replace them. God said, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to wipe them off, Moses, and I'm going to give you a new people. Thank God Moses interceded for them. I tell you, you ought to thank God your mom and dad and your pastor and your, your principal and your teachers intercede for you. I believe they pray for you. I don't know about them, but I've been praying for you. And I don't even know who you are. But God knows your heart. I've been praying for you. Look in verse 17. Go, go to verse 17, 17 and 18 of this text here. And here they, they come down, verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. Can you imagine that? The times had gotten so bad that they had lost their distinction. You couldn't tell them apart from the pagan. You couldn't tell them apart from Pharaoh and his crowd. They had sunk so low, Moses and Joshua said, I, I can't even distinguish. They don't have a distinctive sound about them. It, it doesn't sound like this, it doesn't sound like that, but it sounds like this. And I, I, it's, it's like these two men were bewildered. It's sad that they've lost their distinction. It's sad that it's reported that they've lost their devotion to God and now and lost their dedication to the Lord. They're more dedicated now to this golden calf. 
No longer were they even recognizable as God's people. They were just like everyone else who worshiped false gods. The lines had become blurred. Think of that. And they'd lost their blush. Moses and Aaron said, Moses and Joshua said, I don't even know what's going on down there. But God said, they've corrupted themselves. We better get down there. And when Moses, now we've read the story, when Moses walks in the camp, he sees this golden calf. Now use this as a golden calf. He sees this golden calf. Listen, if it was me and I'm Moses, I'd have got hot too. I said, what's this? What's this here? Aaron says, oh, you know, like a normal teenager response. How you doing? Having a good day? You like being here? That boy likes you. You like him? That girl likes you. You like her? Who? 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 Who is it? That's the way them boys are. Bless their heart. I had a girl one time. Let me just time out right here. She wrote me. When I was in the third grade, I believe it was, fourth, third, fourth grade, a long time ago. She wrote me a note, sat behind me, Terry, do you like me, yes or no? (laughs) But the kind-hearted, tender man that I used to be, I hope I still am, I didn't want to hurt her heart, Brother Paulie, I didn't want to crush her, I didn't want to crush her. (laughs) So, and I really didn't like her neither so I did not circle yes or no I circled the word or and I gave it back to her she said or what does that mean I said you can take for what it's worth leave me alone you know I was in third grade but I've learned I've learned better since then time back in let's look at this here so here he comes down, he sees this golden calf, and he says, what's going on, Aaron? Aaron says, well, you know the people. You know how this class is. You know how them deacons are. You know how they are, this group. They gave me some gold, and I just threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Is that not what he said? He said, out came this calf. Moses got so mad that he took an instrument and broke the, destroyed this, ground it into powder, mixed it with water, and said, Here, you drink it now. You drink it. You want it? Here. You want this calf? You want, you drink it now. And he mixed that powder up with that golden calf in the water and made them to drink it. You want it so bad? Here, drink it. You want to be devoted to this thing? Here, drink it. Get it inside of you. Let it flow through you. You know? And then Moses comes, and I've got to get to the message. We're going to be out of time. Moses comes, to, Moses comes to the question and says, now listen. He looks out among those two million Jews. He says, I want to know who is on the Lord's side. And when I come here this morning, look at me, guys and gals. I want to know in this room, in this moment, in this place, who's on the Lord's side. And I'm going to show you right here. I've got to do it quickly. I'm going to show you right here in a moment 
what somebody looks like who's on the Lord's side. What somebody has to do to be on the Lord's side. And let's look at it right quick. I got to go. I got to go. Number one, we find here and understand this. Let me just say up front here. Who's on the Lord's side? First of all, those that are saved. That's where it starts. It begins at salvation. Do you know for sure today that if you died, that heaven would be your home? This church is fixing to have a funeral service here, a home-going service for Brother Morrison. Thank God for the memories I have with him. But I want you to know, listen, every one of us are heading to the cemetery. Some will get there sooner than others. Some will get there later than others. But we're all going there. And I'll tell you, listen, friend, God has graced me with 58 years, almost 59 next month of living upon this earth. And I want you to understand this. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised another heartbeat. We're not promised another breath. But listen, friend, if you're going to be on the Lord's side, number one, you've got to know that you're saved, that you passed from death unto life, that you trusted Christ and him alone and what he did on Calvary's cross to atone for your sin. Have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? Then notice what he says here in our text here, quickly here. Those who are, are on the Lord's side are those, number one. Number two, are those who are willing to separate themselves from those who are not. Look at it, please. Look in verse 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Here you got two million Jews all standing out here. They're out here just standing. I mean, they're watching Moses destroy that calf. And he's grounding up in powder. They're looking at the, the blush and embarrassment on Aaron's face. And two million of them. Can you imagine? Two million of them. And they're watching the man of God. He's the center of attention right now. And Moses looks at that vast crowd and he says, Hey, if you're on the Lord's side, I don't know who is. But if you are, you come to me. In other words, you've got to be willing to separate yourself from those who are not. You say, well, my buddy has no heart for God. Doesn't mean you don't have to have a heart for God. You might need to separate yourself from him. You say, well, my little girlfriends, you know, we get together and giggle, we chit-chat and all that, tic-tac, tic-tac and all that stuff. It might be you need to separate yourself from them. They might not be on the Lord's side. I'm telling you, listen, if it, what, what, look at me, please. what if the Lord Jesus came down here today and he says, I'm looking for some young people who's on my side. I'm looking for some young people who's following me who's on the Lord's side and I'll tell you listen the ones that are on the Lord's side are those who are willing to separate themselves from those who are not God said in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 he said and be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness he says, come up from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. That unclean thing are things that are demon-possessed, perverted, at rebellion against God. God said, don't touch those things. And we find here that that verses that I've read and quoted to you means separate from all idolatry, all immorality. And as we separate, the Lord will supply all that we will ever need. He said, I will be a father unto you. 
You see, those who are on the Lord's side are those who are saved, number one. Those who are on the Lord's side are those who live separated from the world and separated unto God. Can you say that about your life today? Can you say that about your music today? Can you say that about your material that you look at? Can you say that about the sites you click on? Can you say that about that music you hear in your earbuds there that nobody else can get in there and listen to what you're listening to? Can you say my music is helping me to live a separated life? Number three, write it down quickly here. Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? He said, you come to me. You separate yourself from those who are not separated. Notice thirdly, quickly. If you're going to be, if I'm going to be on the Lord's side, it is those who are willing to slay. Get it now. Slay. S-L-A-Y. Slay those who may be a hindrance to them. You say, you mean God wants me to go out here and start whacking people's head? No, no. Look at it, please. Read it here. He said, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay. Slay every man his brother. Slay every man his companion. Slay every man his neighbor. If you're serious about serving God, if you're serious about being on the Lord's side, he said, you've got to get the sword out. And you've got to start slaying those who become a hindrance to you. Turn your Bible right quick. Let me illustrate this. Look in, look in the Gospel of Luke. Hold your place. We'll come right back here. Luke chapter 14. The Lord Jesus makes a, gives a word of admonition to the disciples. Matter of fact, he gives the disciples a test. You know, the Bible says that we are to make disciples. Is that right? He didn't say anything about making Christians. He said, you make disciples. You see, there's a lot of people, Christian in name only today. There's a lot of other institutions and other religions that call themselves Christians that muddy the water for the rest of us that call ourselves Christians. And I know they were called Christians first at Antioch. And Christians, you know, will say, well, that means Christ-likeness and, and all those things. And that's wonderful. But Jesus said, you go and you make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple cannot be, they cannot be blurred who they are. They follow the teachings of Christ. I remember my brother and I, we were in a cab going from um, LaGuardia Airport, New York, over to JFK to fly across the ocean to go to Israel. And we were in that cab, and, and my brother, you know, he's, he's, he, he's brother. He's going to preach wherever he goes. He's going to witness wherever he goes. And he gets talking to this cab driver. And come find out this cab driver's a Muslim. Now, I got a little nervous a little bit, just to be honest with you. Got a little redneck nervous about me. I said, brother, just be quiet. Just let him deliver us. And we're all, you know what I'm saying. And so he, and, and that guy said, what do you mean you're a Christian? He said, well, we're disciples of Jesus. We follow the teachings of Christ. Amen. And so listen, not everybody's a Christian that's a, that calls himself a Christian. But listen, if you call yourself a disciple, it's a good chance you know what disciple is. 
Because that's not a name or a word or a title you hear every day. But here Jesus gives a, give, excuse me, gives a test. Look, at, look here in verse 25, Luke 14, 25. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said to them, if any man, sounds like what Moses just said. If any man come, unto, come to me, separate yourself. And hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sister, yea, in his own life also. He cannot be my what? Disciple. You know what Jesus is saying? He said, listen, boys, you need to, you got to take your sword out right here. Gals, he said, you got to take your sword out right here. Look at that word hate. That's a strong word. But when you look at that word hate in Luke 14, 26, what the Lord Jesus is saying, listen, you should have such a love and such a loyalty to God. You should be so dedicated and devoted to Christ and his, and his, his teaching, his doctrine that, listen, when you compare your love for Jesus and your love for your mom and daddy and your love for your brother and sister and your love even for your own life, listen, in comparison to the love you should have for God, it looks like hate. My wife knows this, that Jesus is first in my life. She's not first. She's my preeminent wife. That means one and only. Hallelujah. She's not the prominent one. The word prominent means one among many. But I'll tell you, she knows that Jesus is preeminent in my life. He's, one, he's my one and only. I follow Christ, not her. And she knows that, and I appreciate her understanding that. Because I've made a lot of decisions through 39 years of marriage. I'm talking about employment decisions, ministry decisions, all kind of decisions that I believe God was leading us to. You know what she did? She just got right in line, followed and submitted that. Did she struggle with it? Probably. Did she want to do all of it? Maybe not. But here we are, 39 years later, 36 years of ministry. And we're still together, still loving each other more today than we did yesterday. To God be the glory. But I tell you what, God says, listen, there's going to come a time. Listen, ladies, this is very important. When you say, listen, I'm going to step out and I'm going to be on God's side. I'm going to go with God. There's going to be a friend says, now, listen, you don't need to take that too serious. Listen, I had family members tell me that. When I surrendered my life to God in 1983, October 13th, I went in and told them, listen, I said, I'm not going to be able to do things that I used to do. They said, why not? I said, because I've surrendered my life to God. And here's what one of them told me. They said, you're taking this too serious. You're taking it too far. And I said, I don't believe not. I don't believe I am. And I remember walking out of that meeting with those my step parent, my stepmothers, the one told me that, to be honest with you. And I remember walking out of that room thinking, man, I'm going to go with God and I'm, I'm going to have to cut this. I'm going to have to prove that I love God. I remember when I went in, I was in law enforcement for six years, stayed in North Carolina, did you know that? I was chasing taillights, giving people my autograph on the bottom of a citation. But I remember, listen, when God called me to preach two months after I started in law enforcement. I remember God was burdened my heart about quitting my job. State employees, state benefits. I mean, everybody, retirement plan, 401k. I mean, all kind of good stuff they had. And I remember walking to my supervisor there. He came down to Salisbury Highway Patrol Station. He sat behind the desk. He said, I heard you want to meet with me. I said, yes, sir. 
I said, I'm, I'm, I've got a, I got a decision I got to make. It's a burden on my heart. I told him I was, didn't know whether to keep working here or step out and go into the ministry by faith. He said, well, he said, let me help you with something. And uh, he said, he says, like this, Terry. He said, on this side of the state of North Carolina, you belong to us. You work for us. We own you. You're on clock 24-7. He said, on this side of the desk is Jesus. He done like this. He said, which one do you want? Which one will you take? And I stood there for a split second. I said, I'll take Jesus. He said, you've made your choice. He said, hand your resignation letter in, and I wish you well. And I wrote it out and gave him a 30-day notice because I got paid every 30 days. So I gave him a 30-day notice that I was turning in the gun, turning the badge, turning the patrol car, taking off the Smokey Bear hat for the last time, stepping out by faith, followed by Lord. My wife and I were married and had, one, had, had a daughter, Charity, just a year or two old. Well, at that time, she was five years old. I want you to know, listen, God, just so good. But God said, there's going to come a time, listen, you're going to have to pull that sword out, boys. And you're going to have to start cutting people off. It's not that you don't love them, but you love Jesus more. You, you love Jesus more. I can't keep going this way. I can't keep coming here. I can't have another golden calf in my life. I've got to follow God with all my heart. He's done so much. It is God the Father that's led us out of Egypt. It's God that's met our need in the wilderness. It's God that's blessed us and helped us. Not some dead God that can't taste, touch, or see. And I want you to know, listen, Moses said, listen, if you're, if you're, on, if you're going to be on the Lord's side, guys and gals, listen, you've got to, number one, be saved. Number two, you've got to separate yourself. God said, Jesus said, come unto me. You come to me. Listen, you've got to slay, guys. Do you listen to me? You've got to slay. He said, I want you to get your sword. Moses told those boys, he said, I want you to get your sword, and I want you to go in and out from gate to gate, from village, from tribe to tribe, 12 tribes of Israel. And I want you to slay every man his neighbor, every man his brother, every man his companion. Think of that. There's a slaying that needs to take place in your life and my life before God will ever take us to the next step. Let me move on. Let me give you this here. There must be, for those that are on the Lord's side, get this now. It is, it is those who are willing to sacrifice themselves for that which is greater than themselves. Moses, after they did the separating, after, they did, after they've done the slaying, verse 29, Moses had said, consecrate yourself today to the Lord. Even every man upon his son and upon his brother that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. Listen, if you're going to be on the Lord's side today, it's more than just saying, oh yeah, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's more than just that. You've got to be willing to sacrifice yourself for that which is greater than yourself. Moses said you consecrate yourself to the Lord. The word consecrate means to fill the hand. F-I-L-L, fill the hand. Put your life and put your plans in the hand of God. You realize it's hard to fill something that's already full? 
There must first be an emptying of ourselves before God can fill us. Why did the Lord fill the empty barrel with meal? Because it was empty. Why did he fill the empty vessels with oil? Because they were empty. Why did he fill the, the jars or the, or the vats or the barrels there in John 2 at the wedding of Canaan with, with new wine? Because they were empty. The Lord will fill us when we become emptied of ourselves. Your life is not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Don't live in this world for just this time. Hitler said, Hitler, Adolf Hitler says, where the Christians messed up in Germany was they started living for this time and quit living for eternity. They wanted this world. They wanted their cars and their trucks and their houses and their lands and they wanted their monies and gold and silver. They began to live for this time and they quit living for eternity. We've got to be willing, Lord, take my life. Consecrate it, Lord, to thee. God, I present my body as a living sacrifice. Holy. God will take care of that holy part through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You say, preacher, give me a reason to serve God. He said, he's your reasonable service. And the reason to serve God today is because of the mercies of God. Let me close with this. You may not know him. Some of these older folks may know him today. Pastor may know him. William Borden. You ever heard of Borden Milk? William Borden inherited millions from his father's company. William Borden became an instant millionaire overnight, a young man. He went to a meeting and God began to work at his heart and William Borden gave his life to Christ. As God continued to work in his heart, William Borden surrendered his life to be a missionary. He had a million dollars in his name. And he said, but I want to give my life, not to money, but I want to give my life to missions. I I don't want to give my life to stock and bonds, but I want to give my life to the souls of men that are dying and going to hell. And William Borden gave his life to be a missionary. And he wanted to, he, he began to Announced his plans to be a missionary to the Muslims. Now listen to me, please. A friend said to him, Borden, look at me, guys. Borden, you're going to throw your life away. You see, that's one of them friends you got to get that sword out. You got to slay it. He said, you're going to throw your life away. And and so Borden made his will. And he signed over the millions of dollars to a Christian cause. And he got got on board of a vessel and he sailed to Egypt in 1912 to begin his training and studying the Arabic language. But guess what? Four months after he arrived there, he came down with spinal meningitis and not long after that William Borden died 
He gave it all up. Gave it all up. Separated himself. Slew those things in his life. Sacrificed for a greater sacrifice. And they went in and found his belongings. And they found his Bible. William Borden died at the age of 26. Four months after arriving in Egypt. Now listen. After giving away all of his inheritance, William Borden wrote in his, in his Bible, in the front of his Bible, two words. No regret. Amen. Will you listen to me? He said no regret. That he gave it all away. <laughs> no regret. In the struggles that William Borden faced since his surrender to go for God. Preparing to serve the Lord as a missionary, he wrote again in his Bible beside those words, no regret, no retreat, no retreat. So we find that he has, number one, let me, let me correct something. First, the first writing they found was no reserve, no reserve. No, I'm holding nothing back. I give it all to God. The second thing they found as he was struggling with the work of God and the will of God, no retreat. Let me just call time out. They said that, that William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, at his funeral, his son said the secret to my dad's success was that he gave his life to God. And then the daughter of William Booth got up there and said the secret was not that he gave his life to God. The secret was he never took it back. Amen. He never took it back. And then all, they kept looking at William Borden's Bible. He had the words no reserve, no retreat. And before William Borden died, he wrote in the same Bible, no regrets. No regret. I'm 26 years old and I'm fixing to go meet God, but I have no regrets. You know why? Because William Borden was not living for this time. He was living for eternity. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. His epitaph, what was written on his tombstone was this, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Let me ask you this, and I've got to close. Who is on the Lord's side today? Who's willing to be on the Lord's side today? Let me, let me just, just hold up a minute. Do you know for sure that you're saved? That's the most important thing. Won't do you a bit of good to separate. Won't do you a bit of good to slay. Won't do you a bit of good to sacrifice if you're not saved. Do you know that there's been a time in your life that you've trusted Christ as Savior and let me just say this here. When you came to faith in Christ, that same faith and repentance should still be operating in your life today. We're not looking back at some little prayer you prayed. Some little motion you went through. But did you deep down in your heart, your inner man, your inner self, trust Christ and him alone for your soul salvation? Not a doubt about it.
If so, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you've heard the evidence today. Are you willing to be on the Lord's side by separating from the world and unto the Lord? He said, you come to me. Are you willing to cut off and slay, even, even love God so, so loyal and so devoted to God that your love for God looks like hate for everybody else? It looks like you hate everybody because you love God so much. And it's not that you hate anybody. But you just have such a love for, in other words, you have a heart for God. That you want to do what God wants you to do. Go where God wants you to go. Be what God wants you to be. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter if that crowd wants me to or, or they're going to go with me or, or they're, they're cheering me on. If I must walk alone, I'm willing to walk alone. I have decided to follow Jesus. And are you willing to sacrifice yourself for someone greater? Something greater than yourself. He says, now you consecrate yourself. You see, I can't consecrate myself, but the Holy Spirit can. But I've got to give my life. Yield it to God. I was a senior and graduated high school in 1983, 40 years ago this year. In May. Saved a little over a year now. 1982, I got saved. I've been saved back then. I was saved just a little over a year. Graduated high school. October 13, 1983, that following fall, I remember crawling in the altar saying, Lord, I don't know what you have for me. And I'm not much, but here I am. And I put my face, my nose as low as it can go in that ground. And I humbled myself before God, prostrate, just laid out. I said, God, here I am. Do anything you want with me. Fill me, kill me, whatever you want to do, I'm yours. I've had that same spirit since then in my heart to this very moment. We could come in here and play games and tickle ears and tell you a book full of jokes, but I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in giving you what thus saith some things that have helped this preacher to be where I'm at today. And if God could help somebody like me, there's a lot of good hope for you. Amen. I'm telling you. Let's bow for prayer, shall we? <laughs> Who is on the Lord's side? Moses said. The first step of getting on the Lord's side again is to be saved and trust Him as Savior. The next step after salvation is to submit our will and our life to do His will for our life. And then we must follow, follow him daily. What about it? What about you, ladies and gentlemen? What about you, students? What about those watching and listening today? Can we wholeheartedly say that I am truly, without a doubt, without any hypocrisy, any pretending, I am on the Lord's side? There is no straddling the fence here. We're either on it or we're not. What about you? What about us? What about it today? Are you willing to come to the Lord? In faith, believing, are you willing to take him as your Savior, trust him as Savior? 
Are you willing as a saved young person, a saved adult, are you willing to say, listen, as a grandparent, as a mom or dad, as a teacher, as a professor, as a principal, as a preacher, as a student, I'm willing and wanting my life to reflect that I am truly on the Lord's side. Father, help us today. Touch us, Lord, in this time. The Holy Spirit of God has settled in among us. May we not move, may we not do anything, act in any way, say anything, God, that would grieve or quench the tender Holy Spirit. I pray, dear God, I'm nothing but a mailman, just a messenger boy that has delivered God's message for this hour. What are we going to do with it? God, what are we going to do with it? We've got to come out from among them and be you separate. Lord, today I pray for these older students. Please, God, touch them, Lord. Oh, God, I, I pray. God, speak to their hearts. May they say yes to Jesus. Surrender, submit thy, their will to thee. I pray for these younger children. God, make it plain, understandable. Holy Spirit of God. And Lord, do a thorough work in our hearts. And oh, God, we love you, Lord. We just, we just want to thank you for being kind to us. God, for your mercy, God, giving us another chapel service, giving us another opportunity to hear another message from God's Word. And now it's in our lap. It's in our hands. What are we going to do with it? God, may it find a place in our heart today. Oh, help us, I pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed just for a moment.